Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Boston's Big Three, episode 24. Here with you, we got Joe, the man, the editor, Stafford with us, and myself, Brandon Watabi from, from Hot Corner. Uh, we are brought to you by Ride the Wave Media, or presented by Ride the Wave Media, and brought to you by 1 in 100. 1 in 100 is the only online raffle website giving fans and experienced seekers the chance to win tickets to live sporting events, concerts, music festivals, and more. Whether it be from your desktop or mobile device, winning tickets to your favorite events has never been so easy and fun. Choose your desired event, purchase a raffle ticket into the draw, and you can be the lucky winner. So we're back on Boston's Big Three after after a few few days, few weeks off, but we got a lot to talk about, including three Patriots games, the first of which will not be a lot of fun to talk about. Everyone had their own takes about how this game should have played out and what could have happened, what should have happened. The referees definitely had, you know, their, their fair share of uh, involvement in this game. You know, if one call goes one way, the entire game is flipped, and that happened two or three times in this game. Um, you got to remind me of some of the, the ones that happened, Joe. Well, the first one that, that came to mind is a Sammy Watkins one, the first down call, where he was clearly oh, the challenge, he, yeah. Yeah, the challenge. He was at least two yards behind the first down marker, and then bobbles, they throw the challenge flag out. Bobbles the ball in the air. Exactly. While he's getting pushed backwards. Right, and I'm thinking to myself, there's no way this is a first down. Like, even, like, they're reviewing it, they're showing the replay in live, I'm like, there's no way this is going to happen. And then they go on TV and have the gall to say, we were right. First down, the Patriots lose a timeout. Man. And it's just unbelievable to me, not even to reverse the first down call. It's, it's like, like it was, first of all, it was borderline if he even caught it with the bobbling. Then he was right. pushed backwards three right. yards. Then they gave him forward progress for three yards he didn't even gain. Like, I don't understand the logic there. I don't understand how that works in New York. I don't understand how that works, period. Yeah. But you know what? I was like, all right, fine. The referees stink anyway. I knew this coming in. Let's move on. And that's the, and the problem with this. Hairy. The, the problem with that play, though, is the challenge. Right. Because they, they use the challenge and you don't have it later on, which will play into the game later. Exactly. And we had a challenge it twice in the first three. Was it the first half of the first three quarters? It was Probably the, I know the third quarter was just bad in general. Yeah, but I think we used our first challenges, our first two challenges, our only challenges in the first half. Okay. Uh, and then Nikhil Harry happened. Yeah. Nikhil uh. Harry. Wonderful catch, wonderful play drawn up by the genius Josh McDaniels. Goes down the sideline, uh, takes a pivot foot to dive up into the end zone, crosses the plane, touchdown. Everybody's going nuts. Brady's in the, in the driver's seat again. The Patriots are in, mm. or not in the lead, but they're ready to go to win the game. They got all the momentum. All right. the momentum going forward. All of it. And then the referee calls him out of bounds. Come over, now, the th- have a little huddle. The thing is, though, here, here's my problem with it. If you want to call him out of bounds, you know what? If you saw something different than I was, than what I saw, fine. But why don't you call it a touchdown so you can review it? If he's out of bounds, you can't review the play. All touchdowns are automatically reviewed, so you might as well just cover your ass and say it's a touchdown, and then reverse the call afterwards. And that's inexcusable refereeing. What when the line, like the sideline? Is it the sideline judge who made the call? He was right they, there. They, he was they, next to him. They came over and had a little conversation. Like I don't. I don't know what I saw, and he had to have a conversation with the other referee, and they they talk it over and end up calling him out of bounds. But this is a play you see a million times that Julian Edelman's made made a career out of diving for the pylon, and that's in that exact side of the field. Yeah, and I'm convinced these referees are at least taught when they're being trained to want to review everything they can. That's the whole instant replay era that we're in right now. So you're telling me this referee decided to go against all of his training and call a play that's non-reviewable? That's that's in, that's inexcusable. That was the one that really got me aggravated because that's that's 
You have the opportunity to change the game. You have the opportunity to get the call right, and you decide not to review it. That really got me aggravated. I mean, the I whole mean, game got me aggravated. But yeah, I know that was the play. A lot of a lot of the guys that ride the wave, like they were calling for, like, what if we had something like a, uh, an officials press conference afterwards, where they can say, like, talk about what they saw and talk about like some of the, these important things that ended up changing the outcome of the game and what could right. have happened. The NFL doesn't want that to happen because no matter what the NFL says, whatever the referee union says, they have a hand in the games and they know that every game rides on their shoulders, no matter what the players do. Mm-hmm. And so if they had referee press conferences afterwards, first of all, another just a little tidbit here, players cannot criticize referees in post-game press conferences. They get fined for that. First of all, that's wrong because the referees are wrong 90% of the time. And two, it restricts free speech in an open conversation about how to change the refereeing game, which we need to have because this is getting yeah. ridiculous. Because you got you to gotta make the game right. You, these are guys like salaries and like who knows. If, if, I, don't, I know Nikhil Harry's a rookie, but if it comes down to like at the end of the year when he's like, he, if he scored five touchdowns this year, he would have got like a $500,000 bonus and he only gets four. And like you go back to that. That play versus Kansas City, where he's one short, is going to be pretty pissed. He's gonna, even in this, his post game press conference, you heard he was pretty upset, and uh, I think everyone I mean, in the pa- every, everyone in the Patriots organization was pretty upset at that call. Everyone's celebrating. You got the whole whole Gillette crowd going crazy. That yeah, they're back in the driver's seat. Like Kansas City's not going to beat us this year, and you end up having the the officials call call that play dead, call it out of bounds, and then that it just changes the game. Oh yeah, we're not even we're not even done with all the officiating in this game. Go back or go forward a little bit. I think it was the Travis Kelsey caught a caught a ball that ended up one of the most athlete, most athletic plays I've ever seen on the 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 strip fumble. It was mm-hmm. unreal the the play I think McCordy made on it. Devin McCordy right. made and just punches that ball out while like he's bringing while he's bringing this big 250 pound guy to the ground and manages to get the ball out and the Officials call it dead once again, and Gilmore picks it up while he had, like, straight away he had one guy to beat to, to get to the end zone. And I, Gilmore had a touchdown, guaranteed. I There's believe no that would have been a touchdown. Mind. No doubt in my mind, Gilmore has a straight-ahead line of the end zone, a beeline. And, again, you blow the ball. You blow the play dead. I cannot, un- I, I cannot believe what I was seeing on TV. I was literally shaking. I was shaking in my pants. It was literally unbelievable to that was, see this kind of officiating. And not just the one play, the second yeah. play, the third play. There was at least it just four kept happening and happening calls. and happening. Yeah. And, and this is like I'm not I'm trying to say this as the most unbiased fan I can. As a fan of football, as a fan of the sport in general, this was the worst officiated game I've ever seen. I, I 100% agree with you. Not even close. And that's saying something because we've seen some terrible games. We've seen the fail Mary. We've you'll, seen an interception go to a touchdown. You'll watch you'll watch a game and like there'll be like one bad call throughout the game and it'll definitely change like one team's momentum for or the others. Um but this game it was different because you just keep seeing those plays happen and they just keep piling on and everyone's going to start berating the refs online on Twitter. Everyone gets gets their gets their say in, but this game was different because it just kept piling on and piling on. It and, wasn't and that I one single play. That- that having human referees has a certain amount of human error involved. I understand that. If there's a bad call, I get it. You may not have a great angle on it. You can't review it. That's fine. Right. But when it happens four times and it changes yeah. the entire complexity of the game, that's an excuse. And they're all and they're all one sided. I'm I'm sure there's a few calls. I mean, maybe one call in that game that goes the Patriots' way, but 
majority of it, it was going, it was all going Kansas City's way. All of them would have gone the Patriots' way <laughs> if they had reviewed them. And, and actually, no, scratch that because they did review a couple of them and they still yeah. didn't give yeah. them to the Patriots, which was unreal. Ridiculous. But yeah, that <laughs> game was just frustrating all around. My brother, my brother's a great, big Nikhil Harry fan. He's been he's been one hundred percent all in on that guy since we drafted him in the first round uh, this year, and he's just expecting big things out of him. But the you're, I'm seeing signs now. I, would you agree that you're seeing a lot? A lot more production out of this this rookie coming in now. I feel like a lot of people had unrealistic expectations coming into the preseason. Right. Then he goes to Detroit and makes those three ridiculous catches, and everybody like, "Wow, we got a gem here." Right. Then he gets injured, and people start forgetting about him. Then we get a B. What was his injury? He had a he had a shoulder, a knee, and a foot injury all oh, at the okay. same time. Okay. So they just decided to shut him down for like yeah. half the season. That makes sense. He's a rookie. Yeah. Then we got a B. He got overshadowed. Then a B <laughs> left. Then Josh Gordon was traded, and then we had. We went from having the best receiving core in the league to one of the worst. Could you believe that AB was on the team? For, like, that was week two. I I thought that was, like, week four, week five. I thought that was, like, more recent. That was months ago. Yeah, the it's makeup of the team's insane. completely shifted. Yeah. I think it's one of the most uh, in-limbo rosters we've ever seen for the mm-hmm. Patriots organization. No doubt in my mind. I know uh, we've talked about it on shows before, just how the fluidity of the, the receiving core from right. top to bottom – Brady's only got a few guys to work with consistently. Like Edelman's one of the only guys who's been in there um, 90% of the time. And I'm convinced he's hurt too. I'm convinced yeah. something's broken in his shoulder. I don't, <laughs> they say it's a separation. There's something going on. I think something's broken because every time he gets up, he's stiff as a board. He had a drive. We'll, we'll get to, we'll get to the, the Bills game later, but he, he was on another level there. Mm-hmm. But um, Getting back to Nikhil Harry though, just to finish yeah, up. Right. Um, Nikhil Harry. Was drafted out of ASU as a complete receiver. He can route run, he can catch the ball consistently, possession and receiving, and he can make big plays. And I think in that Cincinnati game, you started to see how big of an impact this guy can make. Mm-hmm. He's a big body guy, and you can't take him down. These no. cornerbacks don't yeah. want to hit him, especially as we get into the colder months. And when we play in New England, we're going to have home field advantage at least two out of the three playoff games we play in um, until obviously we get to Baltimore. Then it'll be a whole different conversation. Um, but these cornerbacks in cold weather, they tackle with their arms. And Nikhil Harry's a big boy. He'll run mm-hmm. right through you. And that's what the kind of toughness you need. And it kind of goes along with Edelman, too, because Edelman's a huge, strong kid, but he's small and he's just fiery. We got big, we almost have big brother and little brother over here. Right. Little people <laughs> out for it. And it's kind of funny to see. But that touchdown catch uh, against the Bengals in that end zone, where he had to kind of improvise and maneuver away mm-hmm. and everything, he read Brady's eyes the entire way and he made a phenomenal catch. He's starting to gain that trust in that. That fluidity in that offensive system. And we need it because when you have a a 42-year-old quarterback who's been used to having the same weapons for the last three to four years, and then you have him in limbo between Antonio Brown, Josh Gordon, Julian Edelman, uh, Jacoby Myers, and all these inexperienced young receivers, and then you start double-teaming Edelman, you start double-teaming White out of the backfield, you have nothing to do. And it's it's so hard to do because just because of the offensive lines play as well. Ted Karras has done an okay job, as, as best as you can do to replace David Andrews. But we've seen the impact that Andrews' injuries left on the team. He was the anchor of that offensive line, the captain of that offensive line. Shaq Mason doesn't feel safe having Ted Karras next to him. And you can see it in pass protection. You really can. Um, but to, to find success in the playoffs, they're going to have to find some, some traction with the receiving core and Tom Brady. Yeah, but I think that this Nikhil Harry guy, he's sounds special, I think. The Patriots knew what they were doing, like they they always do if they're drafting a guy in the very first round of the NFL draft. I mean, to be honest with you, we've been terrible at drafting receivers early. We've been, <laughs> we've been absolutely terrible, but finally, I think we actually hit on one. This guy, so. this guy's a hit. 
Yeah, and like I, like I was saying, my brother's a big fan of this guy. He's something special. I've watched some of his tape from ASU. He's just got nothing but pure amazing highlights. A lot of not a lot of lowlights in there, but you see, he he's on this rookie contract. He's with Brady at the twilight of his career. He's just one of these guys that Brady's got to re- like in, uh, increase that trust factor with because he's going to be yeah. he's going to be with him until the end of his career in all likelihood. I know we had a few um, conversations earlier in the year about. Nikhil Harry's character issues, and that's why he was like sidelined on his first game back from IR. But still, this is got this is a big-bodied, heavy guy who can rep- be that red zone threat that the Patriots have needed since Gronk retired. Mm-hmm. I think he's I agree. very special. Speaking of Gronk, baby Gronk, Matt Lacoste had a nice showing out last <laughs> Sunday against Buffalo. He's all right. Uh, I was at the game. It was in my end zone. I sit in section one forty-one. And it was right next to me, and I saw he made some great catch. He had some awesome hands on that, some great instinct, some turnaround stuff. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing how they use the tight ends uh, as the postseason approaches because in that Buffalo game, they used Ben Watson a decent amount. They used Matt Lacoste. They used Ben Watson a lot, yeah. I know, and when you spread the ball around, you see how it affects the offense. It gets the defense off guard. They start playing more zone, and then Tom Brady grips it apart because he's too experienced. That's what you need to do. The, the key to success with this Patriots offense going into the postseason is first, running the ball effectively. We need Sony Michelle to get going. He has been the past few games. Momentum's building. Momentum is building. And that's the same thing that happened last season. He, uh, he, he kind of had an injury midseason, and he was kind of uh, iffy going into that postseason run. But then he carried us throughout the entire postseason. He was the reason why we got to the Super Bowl and why we won. Yeah, and if to, to to have a prayer of doing that again, we need to get him going. Mm-hmm. To to wrap up the the Kansas City game, I think the one last call that was in question was I think it was Philip Dorsett was on the receiving end of it, on the pass interference that people were calling for. Honestly, I think if it were to if if the Patriots had a challenge remaining, I think if they challenged that one, it wasn't going to get overturned. But it still looked pretty bad. Just just the way that the the pass interference rule has been getting called this year, I don't think it would have gone um, overturned or ruling on the field would have changed. But that's that was still pretty blatant. The the receiver's arms getting pulled back down so he couldn't make a play for the he ball gave behind him a his head. Mid air, yeah. and like and and to be honest with you, that play out of all of them was the the most excusable. Right. That was like okay, it's the fourth quarter, they're letting him play football. That makes sense. That's one of the calls I was like I was mad about as a Patriots fan, but as a football fan, right. I, was, I was like okay. You know, the players but play. yeah, like fast forward a few weeks where we are now, you look back at that game and that's not the one I'm upset about. I'm still upset about like the Nikhil Harry one and the, exactly. the Gilmore, the Gilmore, uh, pick right. up and because, run, because whatever, if those plays have been called correctly, there would right. be no need to toss it up to Philip. Exactly. Dorsett. Exactly. exactly. Philip exactly. Dorsett's not one of those guys you want to be relying on in the very no. in the last yeah. seconds of a game <laughs> Exactly. to get open. All right, let's move on to the Patriots and Bengals game. The Patriots finished their last, to Cincinnati. last road game of the year in Cincinnati. They they put the put the game and went on the road to Cincinnati to take on the 1-1-14. One, one what were they? Something like that. I think they only had one win. Yeah, I think They're they still the only have one win. They're in the yeah. That's all that matters. <laughs> what, do you think, um, what do you think of that game? Uh, this was Would you statement. like? This was a statement game. It happened. Um, it happened 2014 the same way actually. Kansas City beats us in a uh, disapproving fashion. We go to Cincinnati and we kick ass, and that's exactly what we did. Um, but the main takeaway from that game, uh, besides Nikhil Harry actually getting involved in the offense, mm-hmm. was the run game. 
the first half was kind of stagnant offensively. We didn't get a lot going besides that that early James White uh, touchdown. Um, but as the third quarter approached and we kind of got a feel of like how the rest of the game was going to go, you saw we were going to be a run-dominant team. And that's where we were. Shaq Mason is one of the best run-blocking guards in the league, one of the best pull guards in the league, and you saw it on, uh, on that Sunday. Alandon Roberts has been playing beautifully in that fullback role. Yes, he's still getting used to it, but like he said, so effectively. He's, he's a nice fill-in guy, and he's got that quote after the game. It was it's fun. To run through a bleep bleep face. <laughs> that, we love that. That energy you need to have as a fullback. That's the, that's the, that's the Anthony Sherman, James Devlin energy you got to have. Which is uh, yeah. which was nice to see, but best part of that game, Sony Michelle finally got going. The whole running back stable got going. James White was obviously involved as he is every week. Sony Michelle finally got his really he really his first great game of the year. And Rex Burkhead, sexy Rex, Rex with an, an is unbelievable bad. He's run against his former team in Cincinnati. I think that was the one that really put the game away. That was the like the 30, 30 yard run. So, Something like that. It was the final nail in the yeah. hammer. Yeah. Yeah. So not a, not not a lot to say about this game. Big Patriots win against a, a really bad Cincinnati game. Uh, I guess nonetheless, Patriots the, uh, get back on track and travel home to take on the Buffalo Bills. And yeah, um, there was a little bit of a Spygate situation going on in Cincinnati the week before yeah. the game. Oh um, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It just got. It wasn't it, it, as blown out of proportion as some of the ones in the past have been, but it was still still dominated headlines. When it bit. first came out, I was thinking, oh, it was, and they said it was a documentary. I'm like, oh, I'm sure it wasn't like as serious as it was. And then right. Jake Glazer released it on Fox Live, and and the Patriots assistant is literally there shitting his pants while the Cincinnati yeah. security guy is interrogating him, and it made us look. Absolutely terrible. I mean, this looks so guilty. Just, it was not even just fun. the way that Fox handled that situation when they they had the exclusive video and yeah. they showed it during what halftime of some meaningless game and just blowing it out of proportion. Yes, the video was awful and looked like really incriminating that that Patriots assistant who ended up getting suspended for for his role in in the Spygate 2.0. We'll yeah, call it. Like, I can't believe he actually had the goal to say, oh, yeah, I can just delete it right now. Like, we don't have to, like, worry just about delete it. All. Yeah. Like, like, what? Like, are you it's, kidding me? It's dude? like when two little kids are fighting and he's like, hey, you, just punch me back. Just punch me back. Literally, you don't like, have to don't worry about, about it. Don't like, <laughs> it's literally unbelievable. This guy actually still has a job. I would have fired him. If I'm crap, I'm like, get out of here, dude. Yeah. That's unbelievable. We already, ha- like, we already have a bad reputation as it is, but just. Doing that again, making it look that much worse. Yeah, but the video is not good. Worse. But like, if you still, get caught, you get caught with doing that, fine. But the video made it yeah. that much worse. <laughs> that yeah. much worse. He's oh. recording the sideline. Yep. Well, that was a really interesting scenario. I think it's it's completely dead now. Um, not well, not completely dead. I don't think any repercussions have been handed out from the NFL yet. The Patriots did end up suspending that um, video assistant for his role in in the situation, but. I think the Patriots will be all right. It's not going to be another. You're fined a million dollars. We're taking some picks away. It's going to be pretty pretty minor if if anything does end up coming out of it. But exactly. the the Patriots ended up winning 34 to 13 in Cincinnati and returned home for the AFC East title game versus Buffalo. When was Bills. the last time you heard that one? It was a fun game. It lived up to the hype. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Honestly, an I AFC was at the East game. championship. I was at the game. Uh, the energy was infectious. 
And it was really the first game against the Buffalo Bills I've been to where the crowd stayed the entire game. And the reason why, because it was actually a competitive game for once. And that's, that's good. Yeah. You want competitive football, especially as Tom Brady's getting older, to see that last uh, hint of magic that we got on this Patriots roster. Um, takeaways from that game, like I, I explained earlier, the tight ends getting involved was big. As soon as you get those tight ends involved, it opens up the receiving core, and they start playing more and more zone. And the Patriots love playing zone defenses because they know how to beat it. When you, the only way to beat the Patriots is to play great lockdown man coverage blitzing. That's the only way you can do it. And teams can't do that if you're using your tight ends effectively. And that's exactly what the Patriots did. The run game, again, had a great start and a great finish. We controlled the clock most of the game. The defense played, the defense played well enough. That smoky Brown. They gave up. They gave um, up a few, a few big plays, but nonetheless, like the defense yeah. won the game at the very end. Yeah. Josh Allen had 11 passing yards in the first quarter. He didn't have time to pass until like, <laughs> the second series. Um, they tried and to the, do all this and it was the long the bomb. Yeah, but then the long bomb, he unhinged it. Josh Allen isn't accurate, but this guy has an absolute cannon. He has an absolute cannon. He has a cannon. You, that was on that was on display for sure. Yes, definitely. Especially on that the long touchdown that made probably made Patriots fans a little nervous. I think that gave them the lead because the Patriots were leading. They were leading thirteen to ten prior to that, and then that pass happened. Just Josh Allen taking a shot for the end zone. I don't know who. I think Brown. John. Does that Brown. sound right? Brown. John yep. Brown, who shook Gilmore, and then it was Devin McCourty was the only guy in pursuit and just gassed him to the end zone for but i'm telling you 60, this buffalo bills team is a solid team it's a great it's a good overall team what really impressed me devin singletary their rookie running back um he had tremendous yeah. balance the entire game he hit the holes well he made people miss and he kept his balance that was the most important part of his game he patriots would come in and hit him in the hole but he would stay up and i couldn't imagine how we could stay up on some of these hits but he did yeah that was like one of the, not the first time that happened the week before who um, Joe Mixon had a good running day against the Patriots too, where that seems like if the the Patriots defense, I don't think we're calling them the boogeyman anymore because they've had a few bad games, but uh, the, the, the low lights are definitely there. It seems like the run game, that's going to be their key in the playoffs. If they're able to stop the run game, there's not a lot any offense is going to be able to do against this Patriots defense passing game. Yeah, they'll get one one big shot play every here every now and then. You see that versus Baltimore, versus Kansas City, versus Houston, versus even Cincinnati. Um, but then again against Buffalo, and it's gonna it's gonna happen. You guys are like these guys are gonna be taking shots against the best defense in the league, and they're gonna hit on some of them. It's gonna be like a gamble, throw it up, see what happens. But it worked out for the Bills this week. Um, the Bills run game was there, like you're talking about Singletary, just bouncing bouncing off tackles, running for for yards after. Uh, contact and that was one of the successes that the the, the Bills had and the the Cincinnati Bengals had against us. But the the Patriots run game was building momentum and that also played a role this week, helping the Patriots secure the AFC East for a record eleventh time, time in, in a row. That unreal. is unbelievable. <laughs> that's that that's an unparalleled yeah. uh, duration of success that probably will never be seen again. Yeah. I really doubt it'll be seen ever again. I have to look at it. I think the Patriots have only lost the AFC East, I think, like three or four times while I've been on the planet. I think it was in 08 when Brady was hurt. 2002. Oh, two after the Pennington Patriots won the Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah we missed the and playoffs that year. Maybe 98 and 99. Maybe. 
I'm, I'd have to fact check that one. I'd have to look back at those. Those were the Bledsoe years. Yeah. Um, and I was a diaper, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it <laughs> doesn't really matter. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about the relevant stuff the last five years. Um, oh, absolutely. Just the, yes. just the dominance. Did you see the Buffalo Bills have never come into Gillette Stadium while Tom Brady's under center and won the game? Well, well it was uh, – though the Bills beat us one time, but Brady was out because it was week 17. Uh, okay. Gar- okay. I think it was Garoppolo came in and they lost the game or something. If um, Brady finishes the game in the yes. first – that was the undefeated. Stat. Undefeated. Yes. That he owns Crazy. the Buffalo Bills franchise. <laughs> you know when they were selling it a couple years ago, Brady might as well have bought them because he just owns them. Honestly, they're gonna build a statue of him outside. I don't even New Era Field is what they're they're just called. Yeah, Up there, New in, Field. not even in Buffalo. Buffalo. Yeah. What is what city do they play? And it's not Buffalo. Um, it's another one of those. They play. They're called the Buffalo Bills, but they play. It's like Forest Park. East Rutherford. East. No, that's that's the Jets and mm. Giants. We'll have to fact check it. I think it's like Forest Park or something. Something along Probably. those lines. Yeah. But nonetheless, the Patriots lock up the AFC East. 11 time in a row. Still unbelievable. Congratulations to those guys. They're, they're locked into the playoff picture. And they can lock up the, the one seed. The two or not the two seed. Excuse me. Lock up the two seed week 17 versus Miami Dolphins. So if they win versus the Dolphins, we're, they're in control of their own destiny. And they lock up that first round bye and get to take a week off and get ready for probably the Kansas City Chiefs in the second round. This is going to be a very interesting game, not the Chiefs game, the Week 17 against the Dolphins. A lot of people are kind of underscoring this game like, oh, they're in the playoffs already, like, don't worry about it. We need this bye. Yeah. We need this bye badly. We can't we need afford this to lose bye this to get, game. There's so many, like, there's guys that are playing, but they're just so, they're they're ailed right now. They're they're not completely 100% healthy. Yes. That bye week will definitely give them the chance. Like they like they get every year, it'll give them the chance to to recoup and get healthy. It's paramount that they get up early in this game so they can mm-hmm. rest these guys in the second half. But they need to get up big. We cannot yeah. afford to lose this game because we if, if we do not have that bye and we play in the wild card, there is not a shot in how we get the Super Bowl. And I think no I'm way. not sure who who are the Chiefs playing next week or this weekend because um I, is it a divisional game? It should be, because um, if if the if the Chiefs win and the Patriots lose, they secure the two seed, and then we drop the Los three. Angeles Chargers. Okay, so that is a that is divisional. Is, is it at LA or is it at Kansas City? I think it's at Kansas City. Okay, well it's a home game nonetheless. Um, I mean the way either, the, the way that Philip Rivers is playing this year it shouldn't be a yeah. problem to win that game. Yeah, um, so got to got to lock up that game for sure to win. Yes, to, but to while we're in that division, sure. while we're talking about the division. Uh, the Oakland Raiders, soon to be the Las Vegas Raiders, yeah. uh, have probably the best playoff parlay I've ever seen in my life. Oh, I, I've got it right here. I can give I can give you the odds right now if you want. Let me, yeah, let me hear it. So if let me let me tell you these five these five if these five teams win the 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 Las Vegas Raiders the Oakland Raiders are going to the playoffs in 2019 2020. It's 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 something to behold. Like it's one of the greatest parlays in NFL history. Um, most of the teams are underdogs, which is a little bit scary. Uh, but the Raiders, if they win versus who are they playing? The Raiders. I, I don't. I don't write down who they're playing, but I think they're playing Denver, right? They are. They're playing in Denver, so that's going to be a tough game to win. That's always a tough place to play, and right. Denver's got a good kid in Drew Locke balling out right now. Uh, but if the Raiders win, the Browns win, the Baltimore Ravens win, the Texans win, and the Colts win. The Raiders are going to the playoffs, and it's plus thirty five hundred right now. So if you put five dollars down on this on this bet 
Like if you were to bet $5 that all these teams are going to win, just take the money line. $5 would win you $163 and $100 would win you something like $4,000. Yeah, I actually might bet on it. I don't bet. Why at all. not? I really yeah. don't bet at all, but I might have to put this only down. I know. It's a good one. Those are, those are all good teams, capable teams of winning in that week mm-hmm. 17 scenario. Uh, it's not like the Buccaneers a couple of years ago where it was like 30 different outcomes <laughs> and just like a tie and like a, yeah. and all that stuff. But um, I kind of want to bet on that part. It away. would be like if the Raiders make playoffs, I want to I want to have some some role in it. I want to I want to win too. Like I don't want to just watch them like oh that's cool they beat the Steelers out of the playoffs. Uh, the only reason spot. why I wouldn't want them in the playoffs is so that Babs would have that satisfaction going <laughs> yeah. for the Raiders all Ride season. with the Raiders that's all. The only why I every want time. Them. Unreal. Every time. Um, that would be really funny. Off the Chucky, John Gruden's had a phenomenal coaching mm-hmm. season. He's really brought this team back to life. Um, there's rumors floating around that he doesn't want Derek Carr there long term. I think that's a mistake. I think Derek Carr's played very He's, well this season. He did. He was an MVP candidate a few seasons ago before he broke his leg. Exactly. And the, and the thing that he has to have behind him to have those kind of numbers is a run game. And Josh Jacobs has held Savage. down fort in Oakland this year. Problem is... I don't think he's playing Week 17 versus Denver, which will will hurt their chances. But nonetheless, it's it's gonna be gonna be interesting to see. Like, just track these five games. See, like, oh, there's still a chance because they had the same thing last week. They could have been eliminated um, from the playoffs last week, but all five teams ended up winning, and the Raiders lived on to see see another day to live on to the next parlay this exactly. week. Same kind of thing is happening for the Dallas Cowboys. I think if if they win and the Eagles lose. It basically secure. I think secures their spot as the NFC East champions as an eight and eight team going to the playoffs. I think the <laughs> NFC East might be the worst division in the NFL ever, ever, ever. And, and, and people, they've got and a lot like, of titles to show, but exactly. Went, and, and you and you saw it a couple years ago the NFC South where I think that um, a team went to the playoffs at seven eight and one. <laughs> they went to the play, and I'm I, I'm comfortable saying that that is not as bad as the NFC East. No, the NFC East is straight up garbage. It's Dwayne Haskins track, you know? is probably the biggest bust I've seen in Redskins history, and the Redskins suck. The Redskins is, have a terrible franchise. Was he a first round pick? He wasn't, right? He he had to wait he a few days. Okay, no, yeah, he he got the Geno Smith treatment. I think he slipped right. in the second round. Um, but the Redskins. Absolute train wreck. Only good player on that team, Terry McLaurin. The literally only good player. It's Landon Collins has been very pedestrian. He's I'd be surprised. I think the AFC East had like just an unreal record because I know the Buffalo Bills and New England Patriots swept their their like four and zero against the the schedule this this year against the NFC East because their AFC East versus NFC East was right. uh, on the schedule this year and the, both those teams went undefeated. I'd be curious the to look. Beat the Cowboys. I'd just beat the Cowboys. That might have been the only one, but. Maybe the Redskins, but they the the AFC East dominated that that schedule this year, and that's that's one of the reasons you see the the Buffalo Bills where they're at. <laughs> exactly. I mean, like, but you take what you get too. People always say, yeah. "Oh, easy schedule." The same thing for us early right. in the season. But we'll go four and zero against them. You you just have to do what you what you have on the schedule. You don't shoot pick and shoot your schedule. You just you take what exactly. you get. And we were fortunate this year with the schedule that we got. You take it and you grow with it. You run with it. Exactly. So instead of doing like a an NFL picks thing this week, of like against um, what or like choosing the games that are happening this weekend, we're gonna kind of look at the playoff picture since it's coming up so quick. Like next week, NFL wild card is happening. Right. Uh, we got week seventeen, end of the end of the regular season, fast approaching, hours away. 
um, this Sunday and Monday. Or is there a Monday? I don't even think there's a Monday game. I don't think so. But uh, yeah, so regular season wraps up this weekend. So let's kind of let's kind of look into the playoff picture right now and what we think is going to hold, what we think is not going to hold, and um, who we. Th- I know there's the big Sunday night football matchup is huge this week, and it's going to be a fun game to watch, uh, considering the last time that these two teams played, it was on Monday night football, and it was the Seattle Seahawks visiting the San Francisco 49ers and. The, the Seahawks ended the Niners undefeated run and the Sunday night football is season finale for, for both, both those teams going to the playoffs, but it's going to lock up. It could potentially be the one seed uh, versus being all the way down to like a five seed in this game. I think they're both 11 and three. I want to say something, or so, yeah. something like that, whatever, however the math breaks down, but they're both, they're, they're one they're of both, these uh, 12 and three, 12 and three, 12 and three. Um, yeah, that, that adds up better. But these teams are going to go at each other, and it's gonna Seattle's gonna have home field advantage for the first time versus the Niners this season, and it's gonna be a crazy oh, sorry, game. Correction, correction, correction. The Niners are twelve and three, and the Seahawks are eleven and four. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Seahawks had they dropped that game to Arizona last week, mm-hmm. which was hey, really surprising. Kyler Murray, I don't understand why since he's been drafted. Kyler Murray has shown me a lot this season. He's showing he's showing flashes. A very good Seattle team. He's All right, a very good Seattle team. But talking about the NFC, um, San Francisco, I think, is going to lock the top spot up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a close game to the very end, but I think um, Russell Wilson is relegated to the wild card again. But he won't lose the first round this time. No. He won't lose the first round this time. Because they have better- an NFC East team will be there with him. <laughs> exactly. And they have a better team than last year, I think, right. in general. Um, the Packers, huge victory over the uh, Minnesota Vikings. Kirk Cousins is now 0-9. Yeah. In primetime Monday Night Football games, he might be the worst under pressure quarterback I've ever seen. That was bad. That's really bad. Being like when you sign a guy for that much guaranteed money, you, all guaranteed, you have to have him perform in those moments, and he has not his entire career. Where you look from from the from Washington to now in uh, well in Minnesota, just not being able to perform in those big shining under the big shining lights and being able to carry his team to the next level. That's the only thing holding back this Minnesota team. Um, I, I think they're they're locked into the playoffs, right? Yeah, they. Uh, I think they have the wild card locked up okay. at, uh, this, as the sixth seed. Yeah, so they clinched in that. The problem there is when, if I'm a Vikings fan, I'm going into the playoffs with no confidence in Kirk Cousins to, to take, take them to the Super Bowl, uh, which is really frustrating considering how close they've been for the last few seasons. And now Kirk Cousins is on the doorstep, could be on the doorstep, and it's not going to happen. I think it depends on the health of Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook's been held He's, out the last yeah. couple of weeks, and he will be, he'll be held out again in week 17. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he comes back to, to full force uh, what he was at the beginning of this season, they have a shot. They do have a shot because yeah. no matter what you say, Kirk Cousins is still a good quarterback. He's good, he's not great, and he's not clutch. But if you have a run game and a solid defense like he does, it's possible for him to get these much-needed victories. Mm-hmm. So it all depends on that run game. Do you think the when when these situations arise, like the, the NFC East team possibly being 500 going into the playoffs, do you think there needs to be some sort of shuffle reseed at the bottom of the order? Because yeah, the, see, the, the, the Vikings are the sixth seed. I the Vikings are the sixth seed at eleven or at ten and five, and they're going to be seated lower than a team like if if they ended up playing like Philadelphia. Philadelphia would have home field advantage against a team that has a, a record two to three games better than them. Exactly, I've thought a lot about this, um, especially when it comes to NFC and AFC, and even the NBA has been talking about reshuffling. Mm-hmm. 
um, their entire uh, playoff system. Um, to be frank with you, I think we need a complete overhaul. I would love to see just the best teams in football going at it. Yeah, I would love to see a complete reshuffle of the seating depending on the record and depending on the quality of the team, really. I know you can't reshuffle it when a team is worse record-wise, but right. I just want to see the best football possible being played on Sundays because nobody in the NFC should be in the playoffs. No, nope, not a single, they not have a single no one of them. Place in that They've playoff blown it. Yeah, at all. No place in my mind. So they need. There needs to be some kind of reshuffling. I don't really understand how that would look, but I, it should be brought up at least once in the NFL owners meeting this yeah. coming. Because this just this just can't happen. You you like the playoffs is the place you have to earn it. You. You want to see, like, the fans want to see the best of the best teams. Yes, yes, these teams have crazy big fan bases, but they're not going to be the ones like selling out stadiums because they know that they're they're terrible going into the playoffs. You could have a team um, like the Steelers that could potentially be left out of playoffs because the Raiders have that crazy parlay bet. You'd rather see that team that with crazy momentum going into the playoffs rather than one of these NFC East teams that has been lukewarm, barely winning every other game. Um, this season, I just don't Speaking think. Speaking of the Steelers, um, I do have an apology to make on uh, on our live TV broadcast here. <laughs> um, I was wrong, Mike Tomlin. I apologize. You had a phenomenal coaching season. I have said some vulgar, terrible things about <laughs> him during his career and his tenure uh, as a Pittsburgh Steeler coach. Um, but I can't. I can't. I have to. I'm wrong. I have to apologize. He's had a phenomenal coaching season. He's dealt with so much adversity, especially at the quarterback position, and he's shown out, and he really has a playoff team. When it comes down to it, he has a playoff-quality team under his belt. Yeah, he's my coach of the year for sure. If they if they clinch playoffs this weekend versus versus Baltimore, who's resting all their starters and would, would ruin the, the, the Raiders' parlay, I think the Steelers have a great chance at, at securing the, the wild-card spot and be, being that last team in, if you will. Um, and securing Mike Tomlin as coach of the year with all these honestly, players dropping. I want him to win for another reason, too, because I want him to, them to come to Gillette and do that zone blitz stuff <laughs> they always do so we can blow him out again. I and would love to see that. That would be fun. That would be fun. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think that wraps up most of our uh, playoff picture talk. We'll definitely get some playoff predictions um, in, in the next show, probably next week or the week after. Um, once the stage is set, definitely next week. Um, at least by the end of this weekend, the stage will be set and we'll be able to start looking at all the picks, who matches up with who, and definitely make a make a prediction for how this this whole bracket's going to play out. Yep, exactly. Let's move on. So, a lot of people, Max Kellerman, Rob Parker, they thought Brady was going to fall off the cliff, um, but they're still they're still marching on, they're still going, and the first team to fall off a cliff it wasn't the Patriots, it was the Bruins this season who started the best team in hockey. Everyone was praising them, crowned them Stanley Cup champions a month into the season, and they have lost... They lost. There was a stretch where they lost eight of their nine games. In, like, in, in a nine-game stretch, they lost eight games in, in there, and it was not a pretty picture, not a fun time to be a Bruins fan, but still one of the best records in, in the, the league, still getting points off. A lot of those losses came in, in overtime losses, shootout losses, and they're just just heartbreaking. They're just, you're watching the game, and they come back or give up a lead, and you're, you're all, everything's there. It's there. The win's there for the taking, and they just, they blow it. Um, we've talked about it for a few weeks, but we definitely got to get one of the one of the Puckhead guys. It's your formal invitation. First one of them to watch the show and, and reach out to us to get them on the show. 
talk about what's going on with these Boston Bruins because they looked they looked so so good at the beginning of the season. And See, just... no, but that's the problem though. This is the problem with almost every sport, mm-hmm. especially in Boston, where it's a high. <laughs> everyone everyone jumps the gun every single time. Yeah. You saw with the boogeyman, and now they're not the boogeyman anymore. And uh, for the Patriots, mm-hmm. the Bruins, Stanley Cup champions, a month in. It's a month in. It's yeah. early in the season. That has no bearing on the playoffs whatsoever. And that's the thing that gets me so frustrated sometimes. People jump the gun so early. But again, they jump the gun early too and we're skidding. Oh, we're not making the playoffs. Oh, the team's collapsing. What's going to happen? <laughs> no, it's a midseason skid. It happens almost every yep. single year with every single team. It's not that big of a deal. We're dropping games at an alarming rate. Yes. Yeah. We've seen some of the stupidest goaltending I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Like, did you, did you see that play in overtime on the game winning uh, a goal? Against which one? I uh, I forget who we were playing against, but Halak literally skated out almost to oh, mid-ice. yeah. yeah skates out almost to mid-ice and then just tries to, to go for the puck. puck. Like, <laughs> that's, just, that's goalie one-on-one. Don't yeah. leave the crease. Was and like, it's, uh, it's, that was mind-boggling to me. And I'm not a big hockey guy, as you can probably tell, but that was mind-boggling. <laughs> Um, it's a it's a good play if he makes it, but when you don't, that's that's a mess. That's sports not about you, top ten material. Yeah, right? not what but, you want to see uh, from right spot. That's still uh, still shining for the Bruins. David Pasternak is so, my MVP pick. He's my MVP pick. I don't he, care what you say. The NF, the NHL keeps talking about Jack Eichel and talk, keep talking about um, Connor McDavid. No, David Pasternak's my MVP. The problem with. Pasternak, he's like he's still on this hot stretch, scoring like he's almost at thirty goals already at the the, the Christmas break, which is fun thing about hockey. They get they get the Christmas break off, they get to spend it with their families. Um, but Pasternak has to keep this up. I know this is one of the biggest reasons the Bruins did not win the Stanley Cup last year is because David Pasternak just did not have a great postseason. Um, and not just a terrible postseason, but he had a bad Stanley Cup final. Just barely showed up. Was basically just a team contributor and not a goal scorer in in that series which he has to be in the playoffs this year for the Bruins to have another chance to win the the cup and bring it back to Boston for the the second time in 10 years but um this the skid is is it's kind of overshadowed in a good way from the their finale versus the Capitals at home where they poured on seven goals on the Capitals uh, six different Bruins scored in that game on on their way to a, a big win versus that is Boston sports porn. Yeah, there, my friend. Yeah, when you beat the Capitals, <laughs> and you know it is. Mm-hmm. That's versus the last team out of the East to win it. You gotta you gotta be happy for that going into the break. Um, Bruins are back in a few days to take on someone, but they should be back to. They looked like they're back to full form, getting contribution from from all five lines, and I think they will be. The Bruins will be all right. Like, like, I said, like you said, I'm not worried about this the skid. Boston sports. Thing. Yeah. They'll get back on track eventually, and I'm not really worried They'll about it. They'll be fine. They're going to be they're going to be a top three seed, and um, they're going to go, gonna go through Boston this year. It's going to be yep. fun. Hundred percent. It's going to be a 100%. ton of fun. Yep. It's it's going to be a it's going to be a fun summer for Boston sports in general. Just from from the Red Sox, or, I'm just a baseball guy. The Red Sox being back, but the the Celtics being unreal this season, the Bruins being unreal this season. Both those teams going to be at the Garden probably well into May, which is going to be really fun to watch. Uh, moving on to the other team that is probably going to be playing in in May in the Garden is the the Boston Celtics. They played on Christmas this year for what the fourth time, and they play every Christmas. Who am I kidding? Yeah. Um, but they played in Toronto this year 
if you if you win the stand or if you win the NBA Finals, you're going to be hosting a Christmas Day game. And the Toronto Raptors hosted their first ever Christmas game um, versus the Celtics and ended up losing it. Um, Let's put a little great star game. next to this game, though. A little yeah. star next to this game. Pascal Siakam was not playing. Yeah. They were missing a couple of their key contributors, but they had nobody. Nevertheless, absolute blowout. Jason Tatum with one of yeah. the most vicious posters that was not called a bucket. They did yeah. just not to call it a basket. The picture, the, the picture's still great from it. The picture's still great from it. The picture's from screensaver right now. If you look back and the ball's halfway down, it's just sitting on top of a hand, but it still looks it still looks good. Yeah, exactly. Um, but speaking of Tatum, the reason why the Celtics are doing so well without Gordon Hayward, without Marcus Smart, is because he's taken that step. I've said it so many times this year, I can't stop saying it because I'm so happy about it. I never he thought that, that year would come. He is that dude, Taco J. The high five, Paul Pierce. The step back, the swagger. He has it, and it's phenomenal to see, especially with the emergence of Jalen Brown. Yeah. Uh, when the first, when the contract first came out about Jalen Brown resigning, I wasn't a huge fan of it. I was okay with it. He's a good player, not a great player. He was in my view, and he's he's proved me wrong. And you know what? I'm happy he's, to be wrong. He's playing I, for way more money right now. Like he's playing way past that contract. He's playing for a max right now. Yeah, I'm looking at him right now. He's playing max, uh, max exactly. basketball money right now. Um, but Jalen Brown, I'm happy he proved me wrong. He's playing some of the best two-way basketball in the league right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the real reason why the contingency is so there, even without Hayward and Smart, is because of Kemba Walker. And the difference between Kemba Walker and Kyrie Irving. I love that guy. I love, I love, that I love guy. Kemba. Man, I love Kemba. Kemba Walker and Kyrie Irving is Kemba Walker is unselfish. You saw it in his days as a... Uh, He's as a just a better a person. Just look at all the times there's a camera shot on just Kemba Walker and he's smiling, looking around at his teammates. Like, he's having fun in Boston. Kyrie, you you would look at him. He's never... He never had a big smile. Like, Kemba Walker is one of these dudes that could be, like, uh, the poster child for, like, one of these smile companies or teeth whitening or yeah. like Francisco Lindor for baseball. Kemba Walker's that dude for the NBA right now. All smiles. He's happy. He's having fun. He's out of Charlotte. He's winning games with a playoff contender and he is having so much fun and I'm so happy and, and I'm so the proud best of thing him. about Kemba Walker too, he's focused on winning. He's so mm-hmm. sick of losing. He was so sick of losing yeah. in Charlotte. He's finally having a taste for success and he's loving it. And the thing about this Celtics team too, he doesn't need he's to score addicted to the winning to win. now. He doesn't need to score 30 points a night to win anymore. Yeah. He can distribute, and that's the best you, part about Brad Stevens' system is because he can pass the ball around and everybody can score. You go back to the game. I, who was it against? It might have been against the Hornets where he, he scored two free throws, and that was his only points of the day. And Taco came in and scored five, and everyone's go, going crazy that Taco outscored Kemba. Very yeah, fun to watch. It doesn't matter because he won the game. He won the game. He's focused on winning, and that's but the only attitude Shout out have. to... Yeah, shout out to Tyler Miller, who again at the very beginning, um, like probably a epi- few episodes ago when the when the contract first came out, he started talking to every single person about um, how they were wrong about the Jalen Brown contract extension, saying everyone who said that he didn't deserve it should go kick rocks. Tyler Miller was 100% correct in saying that Jalen Brown deserved this contract tenfold. He's playing way over... He's playing out of his mind right now. Um, Jalen Brown completely deserved that contract extension. So shout out to Ty for for letting the people know as soon as it happened and coming to fruition a few months later down to Christmas and getting ready for for the Celtics game playing a few hours on a Friday night, which is odd. Yep. 
Um, playing, playing at like 4 p.m. Yeah, it's weird. Yep. And honestly, I can I feel comfortable saying this now. They are a top three NBA team, regardless of conference. Yeah, I top believe it. Three. And the East is the East is good this year. The East is playing out of their minds. Like, yeah, there's going to be a team scraping in, like Detroit or something at the bottom wins goes 40 and 40 and still makes playoffs but the the west is looking a little bit more vulnerable this year even with like the the demise of teams like golden state but the emergence of teams like houston denver um, even portland are looking like playoff contenders but the the east has a chance to to go back to back and winning winning an nba title this year the east has been famously mocked and ridiculed for being the weakest conference in all of north american sports right but honestly they were right for a good majority of the time. They yeah, were right. Absolutely, a weak ass conference, and we and we feasted on that for years, even in the aging Paul Pierce mm-hmm. and Kevin Garnett years. Um, the East is but kind you look of at back. teams like the Bucks, the Sixers, the Celtics, and the Heat. I would take take those four teams over any team in the West any day right now. Exactly. No, but I was just trying to highlight how how bad the, yeah. the East was before. <laughs> like like the, 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 yeah, the bottom two teams that didn't make the playoffs in the West probably would have made the the playoffs in the East. That's how bad it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but the that's, East is that's bad. why they're talking about this this whole shuffling of the the playoff schedule with the exactly. reseeding. I stand, I stand behind that in the NBA more than anything. But the NBA is focused on the wrong thing. They want to introduce an in season tournament. That's stupid. That guy that doesn't. That's yeah, dumb. I that's, I read that in that tweet. I'm like, what the, what is this? Like, why? That's, dumb. that's stupid. Don't and mess with the regular stupid. season. It's great. This isn't March Madness. No, yeah. you got to play real basketball. That was. <laughs> Um, but I'm all for the reshuffling for the NBA too. That'd be good for the league. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so finishing basketball talk, I think that's basically it. Um, moving on, the Red Sox done nothing, nothing. They traded Sandy Leone. That's that's about it. They claimed a few guys off waivers and signed a few guys for minimum contracts. The Red Sox got to do something. You see all these teams making splashes like the Yankees, the Angels, the Mets, the White Sox. The White Sox have done more in the the offseason this year than the Red Sox. Who would have thought? Um, but the White Sox looking like playoff contenders already before the few months away from the season even getting underway. But the, the Red Sox, they got to do something. I'm a baseball guy. I got to get my baseball talking here. But they we need to shore up this bullpen. Yeah. We need every Science, single year. We don't make guys. a move. And they're like, oh, we'll figure it out during the season. The bullpen will be fine. And then it's never fine. We can never close and they have they have a total ERA of like six at the end of the season. You know, can't have that. Can't have that. We're playoff contenders. We're I'm not even like, coming off a World Series. I'm trying to be as platonic as possible. The Red Sox yeah. are the most inconsistent sports organization in baseball. They're they the even in even in Boston sports. Like you look at the runs that the like Celtics, Bruins, and Patriots have. They're they're all in these like like look at a line graph. It goes up and just stays at the top and the Red Sox they're going up and down and up and down and up and down to win the World Series and then be the worst team in their division the following year and and then win again it's <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's weird it's weird I don't know how they do it but the that's our that's our sock talk for the day we'll get more on that on socks and four but um yeah you got anything else you want to add to to the show before we wrap it up nope uh, I'll try to get some insight on the game Sunday I'll be there against yeah, Miami so we'll see if we can get some content out up for that. And uh, that's about it. Yeah, I'm going to the Peach Bowl tomorrow. Get ready for that. I'm yes, sir. Probably get some content up on on Ride the Wave. I don't know who I'm cheering for yet, but uh, I'll try to make some money off that game. We'll see. Yeah. Um, so this is Joe, 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 the editor, Stafford, and my name's Brandon. And uh, thanks for tuning in to to episode 24 of Boston's Big Three. Have a great week, everybody. See you guys.